Turn your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 12. We'll be looking at the end of chapter 11 for just a moment, then we'll get right into our Romans chapter 12. We continue our Roman series this morning, Transformed, Not Conformed. Our last sermon from Romans was focused on chapters 9, 10, and 11, where we dealt with some very deep theological issues and concluded that all that God does in salvation history is a purpose for leading all men to mercy, both Jew and Gentile, chapter 11, verse 32. Chapter 12 begins with a therefore. Therefore, brethren, I urge you. It draws from all that Paul has written and said before, given chapters 1 through 11, therefore. Well, chapters 1 through 11 have culminated in that great doxology beginning in 1133. Look at it. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Praising the God who gives mercy to all folks. Next, therefore, having praised God and knowing God is trying to get mercy both to the Jew and the Gentile. Notice chapter 12. To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Well, the first thing, verses 1 and 2, the key word is sacrifice. Verses 1 and 2 sacrifice. The first thing we see is this idea of being a living sacrifice. Those who worship God through his son Jesus are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Remember back in chapter 1, those who didn't think it worthwhile to acknowledge God? Paul says that God darkened their hearts and they became fools and God gave them over that their bodies might be dishonored or degraded among them. They refused to acknowledge the creator. They refused to acknowledge the creator's boundaries and therefore their bodies were degraded. Unlike those who are disobedient, those who follow God through Jesus are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Bodies are awfully important in Christian theology. Remember in chapter 8, he told us that the spirit indwells inside of our body. And it's with our bodies, our hands and our feet and our tongue that we visibly live out the will of God through our actions. Paul tells us the same writer in 2 Corinthians that we always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. Or in 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, we present our bodies to God here because our bodies will one day be resurrected. Now in the ancient world, 
Sacrifices were a fundamental way of honoring one's God, one's deity. But a living sacrifice, that was an oxymoron. No one had ever heard of a living sacrifice. A sacrifice was a, a lifeless, lifeless object like fruit from the field or a slaughtered animal. Sacrifices were anything but alive. Our call is to be a living sacrifice. Instead of offering God a dead object, we're to offer God our living selves. We put to death our sinful self, our self-absorbed, self-indulgent passions and deeds of the body to present to God our renewed bodies, our spirit-filled bodies. In Galatians 6, Paul writes, The altar of our worship is the cross upon which, Paul says, the world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. Now, Paul is not just talking to individuals. He's talking to the whole community. Notice he begins with a plural, brothers or brethren. And then all the yous and yours in the Greek text, they're plural. We might say in the South, you all, remember, you all offer yourselves as living sacrifices. And then that second verse, he reminds us not to be conformed to this world, but rather to be transformed by the gospel. J.B. Phillips, in his edition, his paraphrase, put this this way. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your mind from within so you may practice the plan of God, which is good for you. Don't let the world squeeze you into its own mold. Don't be conformed, but rather be transformed. Let God remold you from inside out in your body to using your body for his glory. There has never been a time in my life when I was more certain that what the world holds dear is not what the people of God should be cherishing. Be transformed, not conformed. We are renewed and resurrected in Christ, transformed in the glorious image of Christ. And this inner transformation becomes evident by what we do with our bodies, how we serve with our hands, where we go with our feet, what we say with our tongues. Our bodies are important. So first of all, living sacrifice. Secondly, the word is service. Look at verse 3 through 9a. For though the grace given to me, I say to every man among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allowed it to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all members do not have the same function, so we who are many are in one body of Christ and individually members of one another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each one exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith is service in serving, and he who teaches in his teaching, and he who exhorts in his exhortation, and he who gives with liberality, and who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without hypocrisy." Verses 3 through 9a, the word is service. However God has gifted you, 
He has gifted you to serve the church, not to serve yourself. The idea of church or community is hard for those of us who live in a westernized, individualistic culture. But in that Asian culture, which this text is written, it's all about community. It's about group. It's about you all and not you. What, however God has gifted you, whatever grace gift you have is be used to edify the body of Christ. Whatever you do, do it well to God's glory, but do it for the church. And no grace gift is more important than anyone else's gift. Don't look down on someone who has a different gift than yours. In fact, what he says in verse 3. Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. In our own conceit, sometimes we place people into pigeonholes. Well, this one's valuable like me. Well, that one middling value. And well, no, no, not so much on the other one. You see how it goes. Such attitudes breed discord. Paul has argued in this epistle that we are all sinners for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. This measure of faith, N.T. Wright says, it's not that one measures more faith than the other. We all have the same measure of faith. If you're going to measure yourself against anyone, measure yourself against the Christ. It can be easy to be prideful sometimes, can it? To be like the giraffe and not the tortoise. Throughout this section, Paul mentions arrogance and pride. Look at verse 10. Give preference to one another in honor. Or verse 16. Do not be haughty in mind. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Now, I'm going to give you a prescription to be miserable. Not only can I make you miserable, you will stay miserable if you'll keep doing this in life. Here you go. Write it down if you want to be miserable. If you don't want to be miserable, you don't have to write it down. But if you want to be miserable, write it down. Think about yourself. Number two, talk about yourself. Number three, in your conversation, use those first-person pronouns. I, me, and my. People love those when you talk. Listen greedily next to what people have to say about you. Insist on consideration and respect. Don't they know who you are? Number six, demand agreement with all of your own ideas and everything. Number seven, be real sensitive to slights. Number eight, some of you are good at this one, never forget a criticism. Oh, just pack it away. Hold on to that thing. And trust no one but yourself. You'll be miserable, I promise. Pride. Thinking that you are best. Just a cut above the next guy. Notice how Paul starts talking in this section about serving. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Serving the church demands, by definition, humility. Don't think you're the one. Humility. It was during a fall festival, a Halloween carnival at school. One of the parents fainted on the school playground, and several adults quickly ran over to offer first aid. 
One lady was tending to the unconscious man, and a guy came up and shoved her out of the way, said, get out of the way. I just passed a course in CPR, and I know exactly what to do, ma'am. Please get out of my way. She sat there quietly and let him do his thing, and she said, when you get to that part about calling the doctor, she said, remember, I'm just right here, and uh, I'm, here, I'm here to help. Frederick Beekner tells us, True humility doesn't consist of thinking ill about yourself, but rather not thinking any more highly of yourself than you think of others. Humility. Realizing you, like your neighbor, put on your pants one leg at a time. While preaching a sermon on pride, the Reverend Kenneth Phillips, it was June the 4th, a Sunday morning in Dallas, the stories in the Dallas Morning News. He astonished his congregation right in the middle of the sermon with an act of humility. Right in the middle of the sermon of preaching about pride, he reached up without warning and removed his hairpiece. Yes, the fake turf was forever gone. Right before their eyes, a pastor bared his soul and then bared his bald head. In fact, Pastor Phillips said that pride over his appearance was getting in the way of his relationship with God and his act of humility in front. He was doing a public act and just getting rid of the rug on his head. And well, the church had a big revival. Some people call it the toupee revival there in Dallas. And there were some new things like hair-splitting theology that came to be teased throughout the community. That sounded like Robbie, didn't it? Sorry, sorry. <laughs> One member said, our pastor taught us to be real, to be real. Paul is saying simply, get off your high horse. He's warned them about haughty spirits. Paul reminds him in verse 4, we're all members of one body, and whatever gift you have, use the gift. Now, in the New Testament, there is never one exhaustive list of grace gifts. The word grace is found in the Greek root of this word. It's translate gifts, but it's really the word grace is in there, grace gift. While you have a, a different list in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you have a different list in Ephesians chapter 4, you have a different list here in Romans chapter 12, and so there is nowhere in the New Testament one exhaustive list of the spiritual gifts that God may give you. They're just examples or samples of the kind of gifts that God may give. If you have the gift of prophecy, then preach. You have the gift of serving, then serve, he's saying. If you have the gift of teaching, and some of you do, you need to be teaching. If you have the gift of exhortation, then you need to be out there encouraging people. If you have the gift of generosity, we all ought to be tithing, but some are especially gifted with liberality, then give and give big. If you're a leader, then find a ministry and manage that ministry in the church. If you have a tender heart, then make the funeral meals. Whatever you are gifted with, do it. But don't do it for yourself. Do it to build up the body. Here's a, a third word, and that word's believers. 9b through 13. Believers. Abhor what is evil... Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. 
rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. In this section, 9b through 13, he tells them how to behave in regard to the presence of the community or how to act around other believers. He starts out by saying, be devoted to each other. Love each other like family. When it comes to honor, quit trying to make the A-list and lift others up. Seeking honor in the public sphere in ancient Rome was an addictive drug. It was akin to a blood sport. I feel, fear we have returned to something of that with social media. Give preference to one another in honor. How many social media posts are a look at me cry? Look what I've done, where I've gone, who I am. Look who's in the picture with me. And if it's not social media, it's those annual family Christmas letters. You love getting those, don't you? Let me give you an example of one of those great letters you'll get in December. Dear friends, what a great year. Jim was named vice president of the bank. We celebrated by buying a Mercedes and flying off to the Orient. In addition to his Boy Scout work, Jim was co-chairman of the United Fund Drive. He continues on the board at Grace Hospital as treasurer of the Rotary. His first love, however, is still conservation. He's heading up the committee to fight the Dutch Elm disease. After completing my term as a junior league president, I swore I'd take life easy, but I'm more involved than ever before. I accepted the vice presidency of the Garden Club. I'm still active in the DAR, and I read a bake sale for the Eastern Star again. We made $680. I also squeezed in a flower arranging class offered by a Japanese exchange student. All this with my leg in a cast. Dumb me fell off the ladder hanging curtains at the homeless shelter. You've gotten a letter just like that. Well, someone had had it with these Christmas letters, and so she wrote a real letter. Dear friends, we've had a rotten year. Bill was passed over promotion again, so he quit his job. He hasn't lined up anything yet, but he's listed with the unemployment agencies. He looks in the paper every day, and in the meantime, he's just drinking like a fish. Signed, looking for a better year. Don't be lazy in your Christian service, Paul says. No, be ardent in spirit, fervent in the Lord. You need to rejoice in hope, persevere in tribulation, be devoted to prayer. Help out the contributions of the needy saints and show hospitality. Itinerant preachers traveled from church to church. The ends were disreputable, dangerous, and uncomfortable. They imposed extra fees. The author of Hebrews says to his audience, when you entertain those who are visiting, carrying the gospel, that you have entertained angels unaware. Paul himself had been hosted by Lydia, the Philippian jailer, Aquila and Priscilla, and when he writes this letter, he's staying in the house of Gaius in Corinth. Show hospitality. Here's a fourth word, the word all, verses 14 through 16. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. The fourth section is about all. Not just how we behave around believers, but how we act in, in the world. How we're to be toward everyone. I want you to focus for a moment at verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice in this world. And weep with those who weep. The word connected comes to mind. You know, we all want to be understood, don't we? Verse 15 reminds me of a Saturday when I have a funeral in the morning and a wedding in the evening. You have to grieve with those who grieve, weep with those who weep, and then turn and change your emotion to rejoicing with those who rejoice. At connectedness of humanity, we want people to meet us at our emotional address. Can you rejoice when a friend receives a good word? You and several of your friends are struggling with infertility and infertility, and then you read in social media, we're expecting. Can you rejoice? Can you weep with those who weep? Can you be empathetic? We all want someone who understands us to know our joys, to walk with us through our sorrows, someone to be right there with us. God calls his people to be the chaplains of the world. Mr. Alter's, Alter's fifth grade class in Oceanside, California, included 14 boys who were as bald as eagles. Only one, however, had no choice in the matter. The Associated Press story, Ian O'Gorman was undergoing chemotherapy for lymphoma. He faced the prospect of losing his hair clumps at a time. Many of you have been there yourselves. So he decided to go ahead and, and shave his head. And that's when Kyle Hanslick had an idea. A 10-year-old had the idea that all the boys in the class ought to also shave their heads. He said, you know, the last thing he'd want to do is feel odd. Let's make him feel like he belongs. And so all the boys in the class shaved their head. Carry each other's burdens. In this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. The doctor walked into the room, and when he walked out, he took his journal and began to pen. Today, I visited an eight-year-old girl dying of cancer. Her body was disfigured from both the disease and the treatment for the disease. She was almost in constant pain. As I entered the room, I was overcome immediately by her suffering, so unjust, so unfair, so unreasonable. Even more overpowering, however, was the presence of her grandmother lying in the bed beside her with her huge body, embracing this precious inhuman suffering. I stood in awe, for I knew I was on holy ground. The suffering of innocent children is a horrifying beyond words, and we can't explain it. I will never forget the great gentle arms and body of the grandmother. 
She never spoke a word while I was there. She was holding and participating in the suffering that she could never relieve, and yet somehow in her silent presence, she was relieving it. No words could express the magnitude of her love. Everybody wants somebody who gets it. To understand, to, to jump for joy with us when we receive good news and to come wallow in our agony with us when the loss is too big to bear on our own. That's the way the body of Christ is, Paul says. That's the way we're to be to all men. Be of the same mind with one another. Look, verse 16, don't be haughty. You associate with the lowly. The minute you think you're too good to have a conversation with anyone is the minute you're most unlike Christ. The minute you think your gifts are above someone else's gift set and therefore you cannot have conversation with her, you're most unlike Christ. The one who sits with sinners and tax gatherers Unless a woman of ill repute close enough to anoint his feet. You're too good because they're a sinner and you're a, yeah, we're sinners too, aren't we? Christopher Reeve, good looking, wealthy, everything going in his life, acclaimed actor chosen to play the superhero Superman two times. Christopher Reeves said, you just remember, anything can happen to anybody. In the last movie I did, he wrote, above suspicion, I played a paraplegic. I went to the rehab center and worked with people so I could simulate being a paraplegic. And every day I would get in my car and I'd drive home and I would, I would think in my mind, Man, I thank God that's not me. There was a certain smugness to my attitude about that, wrote Reeve. As if I were privileged in some way, and they were different than I was. Seven months later, I was a paraplegic, injured in a horse riding accident. The point is, says the actor Superman, we're all one big family. Any one of us can suffer at any moment. We should never walk by somebody who's in a wheelchair and be afraid of them or think of them as a stranger. It could be us. In fact, it is us. The last word is enemies. Verse 17 through 21. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. You circle that, you underline that, you highlight that. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, you feed him. If he's thirsty, you give him a drink. For in doing so, you heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Whatever fights you're having, don't let the flames be fanned from your side of the equation. If possible, 
As much as it depends on what you do and say, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God. If your enemy is hungry, feed your enemy. If your enemy is thirsty, give her something to drink. Overcome evil, not, not by matching it with evil, but with good. Of course, Paul is playing off something that Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, any of you can love your friends, your brother, but I say to you, love your enemy. He's echoing the words of the Christ. If the people of God respond to their enemies in such an overwhelming, kind way, the world is dumbfounded by our behavior. Let God take care of the injustices. He's going to tell us in Romans 14, 11, and 12 that we, every knee will bow before God and we'll all give an account to our behavior before God. That injustice will be dealt with, but it's not for us to deal with it. It is for us to overcome evil with good. We're to be like the Christ who hangs on the cross and says to those crucifying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Theologian, philosopher Soren Kierkegaard says, you don't need God. You try to love your enemies. You'll find out you need God to do that. Frederick Buechner, the magnificent defeat, says the love of an equal is a human thing. Loving a friend, loving a brother, that's nice. The world smiles. The love for the less fortunate is a beautiful thing. The love for those who suffer, well, those who are unlovely, that's compassion. It touches the heart of the world. The love for the more fortunate is a rare thing. To love those who succeed when we fail. To rejoice without envy with those who rejoice. To love of the poor for the rich. Well, the world is bewildered by its saints when the unfortunate love the fortunate. But then, but then there's the love for the enemy. Love the one who does not love you but mocks you and threatens you and inflicts pain. Tortured love for the torture. That's God's love and it conquers the world. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul says, we're saved by faith. But it's not just a transforming of our spirit. It is a living sacrifice of our bodies. Our faith is fervent service. Serve his people. A healthy church is a church where everybody is exercising their grace gift and cooperation with others, not to be seen or glorified, but rather to build up the body they're brothers and sisters. If you can sing, you need to be up here singing. If you can teach, you need to be contacting those in Sunday school God's given you the gift of compassion. You need to be loving the gift of giving. You need to be writing the checks. You see, in all things, we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice. No more dead animals on the altar. God wants the living you. Let us pray. Oh God, what a challenging word. Forgive us for when we have thought more of ourselves than we ought. We used our gifts for self-glorification rather than building up the body. We've thought of ourselves as above a conversation with a friend 
in Christ. Father, you call us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep, to be the chaplains of this world. And God, then you say a hard thing and tell us as much as it's dependent upon our words and actions, our letters and phone calls, our conversations. We are to be at peace with all men, good men and bad men. It doesn't matter. And then, God, you ask the hardest thing. And you ask us to feed our enemies and treat them to a refreshing drink. Because you'll take care of the injustices. But we're to overcome evil with good. Perhaps you're here this morning and it's your morning to say Jesus is Lord. Perhaps you're here this morning, it's your morning to become and be a part of this church family that will preach the challenging word of God. Perhaps it's your morning to realize you have grace gifts and you need to be engaging them to build up the body of Christ and not to glorify yourself. In the name of Jesus, amen.